FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on is a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX is Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. It's me, the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the hotels app to find me. You're perfect somewhere. Good morning, outdoorsmen, and welcome to the Honey Hole Hangout Podcast. We have a great episode for you guys today. Uh, let me introduce who we have. My name is Landon. We have uh, Zach, who you guys are familiar with, and Gabe. Good morning. Who is our uh, drink connoisseur. Ooh, I like uh, that yeah. <laughs> Bottle guy. <laughs> bottle oh guy. Wait, wait, what about bottle boy? Ooh, bottle boy. Bottle man. <laughs> I talked about this. <laughs> And we have our good friend Steve Ramirez with us, who yeah. was a prior guest. Do you, any of you guys know what episode? Steve, do you it remember was, what episode? I don't. 20, maybe early on. 20, yeah. 30, maybe? No, it was it was under 30, because I, I listened to it. I want to say it was either like 19 or 26. Okay. Early yeah, on. so go back. Maybe Were we still on Match the Hatch, or were we Honey Hole? No, we were you were Honey Hole. Okay. We were in Cliff's uh, garage. Okay. So I remember the garage, yeah, from yeah. afar. So last <laughs> time we had Steve on, he talked about he talked about his book uh, Casting Forward, which if you guys want to hear about that book, you'll have to go back and listen to the old episode. But today we have him on because his new book Casting Onward just released and it's now available for sale. So towards the end of the episode, uh, last half or so, we're going to be talking to Steve about his next book uh, Casting Onward. So Steve, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, yeah. s- some other things we're going to talk about is uh, Zach's baseball card NFT, which we previously uh, updated y'all about. Um, I took uh, our travel trailer out for its first trip, truck Ooh. and travel trailer. Um, there was a shark fin bust. Uh, Gabe brought some tequila. We have a Florida man story. And uh, then we're going to talk to Steve. But before we talk to Steve, I'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, <laughs> Honey Hole Angling. Hey, hey. Man, they got some deep pockets. They have deep pockets. <laughs> they are sponsoring know. like crazy. That's like 87 sponsored shows, sponsored oh, yeah. shows already. Yeah. Wouldn't you have it that Honey Hole Angling sells Steve's book that we're going to be talking about really? today? They do. Yeah. They don't have many copies left available. No, but I, they here they're sell all it. signed. They are all signed. I personally watched Steve sign them. Yeah. So, I do. I, do too. I, I saw it too. He's telling the truth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if you guys want to support our sponsor, then you guys could go to honeyholeangling.com and go order one of Steve's books. There's not going to be many available. No. Uh, uh, we already had, we had a lot of pre-orders, and we personally bought some ourselves. Yeah. So Do we have any of the first copy? No, first copy sold out. You guys missed your chance. We might get some more. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. There's not that many left. Apparently, yeah. there's not many left if you want uh, casting forward. So. Yeah, I just just ordered some for myself, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gabe, what are we drinking today? I don't know. I'm trying. Sorry, I'm getting punched in the face by these mosquitoes. All of a sudden, the wind <laughs> died down, and I thought I had to be in the back in your backyard. I was only concerned about 
the trash pandas. But, uh, man, no. these guys came out of nowhere. They do. Dude, I got hit in, right in the face. Landon has the mosquito breeding ground in his backyard. I do. It rained, and we have, like, a drainage thing in our backyard. I did provide you. We have this candle, though, but it's gotten rained on a couple times. Like, two, only one of the three wicks is, like, I'm out. scared to, like, get closer because I've already, you know, um, we've been drinking and spraying each other with, uh, <laughs> with flammable <laughs> mosquito <laughs> repellent. Uh, not not too sure, but anyway, we have already started drinking. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, oh, why have we already been drinking, Gabe? Oh, because we've actually started a new podcast. <laughs> What's the new podcast? What's called, it called, Gabe? Gabe? Field and streaming. Field and streaming. What is that about? It's about movies, <laughs> not just outdoor movies. Not but just the first outdoors, one. but the first one we did pick. It was Landon's pick today. It was uh, a river, river runs, runs through it. it and had a great conversation about it. I uh, picked it because Zach's never seen it. Zach has never seen it. Yeah, so so you, you get his first impression. Which yes. is, it could be good or bad. If you really if like the movie. Your, if it's your favorite movie, maybe skip this episode. Maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe pass on this yeah. one because he will hurt your feelings. I cried a little bit on his. Uh, but then at the end, I might, have, I might have some people on my side now. Yeah, you did me. Yeah. And it, that's why I'm even more I sad mean, I think about we it. all approved of the movie. Yes. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm. I so, definitely am glad I watched it. Um, so anyway, but if you guys want to hear about that, you'll have to go to listen yes. to Field and yeah. Streaming. Probably on the same plat. You'll probably be able to hear it on the same platform you're currently listening to this podcast yeah, on. Exactly. So that's why we had started drinking already, and that was probably an hour ago. Uh, and we we're actually the bottle is now empty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, at least I had a little bit more than half a, a bottle on it. But this is a uh, Fortulenza. It is a this is a Reposado uh, tequila. We've talked about this before on the past uh, episodes. This is specifically uh, lot number eighty three R. I hear that's the best lot. <laughs> it is it is probably second best lot uh, on some of the collecting sites. Uh, the 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 one that everyone's really trying to find, I think, is either forty two or forty three. Like that one is by far that lot, which is kind of like a single barrel. If you can follow along on, on bourbon stuff, it, it's kind of like a single barrel. But this was a, you know a run, uh, and this particular run is is batch eighty three. What do you guys think, Steve? Go ahead. Well, considering we've, uh, f- uh, I'll go. I'll cut in before Steve. I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> considering the bottle is empty, I think that speaks for itself. Do we need to? Do we need to say anything else other than the bottle's say, empty? I, I need to say something. Okay. Okay. Please go ahead, uh, Steve. Please. Uh, you asked me if I wanted any. I said just a little. You did. I've refilled a couple times. Well, yeah. no, no. Okay, so <laughs> what what had happened was I poured a larger. My hand slipped, and there was a, a good pour, <laughs> it was, and yeah, I was going to hand a, it, and we, uh, uh, no, it, it was, you a, know, it was, it was, it was a good pour, yeah, and uh, and it wasn't a big deal. So he was like, "Hey, I'll just take take a little bit, no big deal." So poured poured half in that to to Zach and yeah. and all that, and uh, and then you know we we went from there, and I think this is at least your second one. Uh, it might I, you be know, my third. I turned around, but it, it might be my <laughs> I third. But I—they've I, been little ones. But when you hand me that uh, like half glass of it, I thought, you know, I don't want to get crazy here. Who knows what these guys will do? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but what do you think, though? I mean, like, so you've had three, three uh, little tastes. It's, of it. it's beautiful. It is, isn't it? It really is. It's an example of the best of humanity. 
It's, yeah, it's it's you it's, know it's art. Yeah, it's, it's Van Gogh in a glass. I'm not saying that because I've had three. <laughs> <laughs> really talking about life now. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait, this is what's cool about the bottle. Every bottle is unique. Every glass bottle across Forte Lenses range is hand blown in Mexico and finished with a hand painted agave uh, pina stopper. Uh, That's on really the top, cool. Uh, which is really neat. And they do use uh, a uh, an ancient method. Um, a slow 36-hour cook. Um, they use a large two-ton volcanic stone to crush the fibers of the plant. So where a lot of these companies nowadays, it's all machine done. Uh, this one's a little bit more old school on that. And I think that's kind of where the difference on this tequila comes from. Um, if you're in Mexico, it's a different company. It's actually Los Abuelos is the name of the company. So if you buy the bottle there, and again, some people in the States try to collect the ones that say Los Abuelos, that's the naming convention they'll have on it than then Fortulenza here in the States. Um, overall price point, I think it's like 65 bucks for the Reposado, I think like 80 for the Inejo, and then their Blancos are in around maybe 50 bucks. They do have another one, uh, Zach and I were talking about. They had a, um, a still strength, um, Blanco, which is uh, obviously a little bit stronger. I don't know the proof offhand on that one, but with the Reposado, we're looking at uh, 80 proof, um, 40% alcohol, so 80 proof on that bottle. But yeah, very citrusy, not not as, you know, the, the one we had last show, the, the uh, Los Dragones, which is the higher-end Blanco, um, was nice, very citrusy, but I feel like you get a little bit more of the the barrel notes on this because it's it is barrel aged. It uh, yeah, I agree. It is phenomenal. It's All I'm gonna say is I like it. I'm on my second heavy pour, and it's fantastic. It might be my favorite tequila I've ever had. Like yeah, honestly, it's, it's it is smooth. It is full of flavor. It is just mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a great drink. It, yeah, there's something special. And then you can find it. Unlike some of the other bourbons I've brought, That's which my forget thing. it, we're yeah. not going to find it. This mm-hmm. one is 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 available. There's so been a handful w- of times that they haven't they haven't had it, but you just go to another specs and they've got they've yeah. Got it there. I hate liking things that like I can't find. Oh, you yeah. know, it makes like, you like it less. It does. Cause I think I tell myself I like it less because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like you because I can't buy you. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. <laughs> yeah, you can't find it. Um, but you know this this one, like you said, it mixes well. Um. And uh, yeah, this is this is my standard. This is I really go off of this one. You know, everyone's a little di- different, but for the price point, you can find it. It's a great Christmas gift. It's a great birthday gift, and it's a great gift to you know just hang out and and drink and do all this stuff. And Landon's getting up, and I don't know if he's gonna. What's he doing? He's uh, finding the raccoons. He's putting in the electronic. Do we have a bug zapper? Oh, maybe that'll oh, help. Oh, let's see that'll help. I feel bad because everyone's wearing some type of camo, and I've got the bright white shirt, <laughs> and that's probably why they're all coming over to me. Yeah, who knows? Uh, oh, they're getting me too. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all, all right, Zach, let's get an update on your NFT situation. Ooh, okay, so if you guys listened last week, you understand I bought NFTs for the first time. NFTs, we don't know, are non-fungible tokens. Essentially, it's digital artwork. It is not cryptocurrency, but, it, you know. It is in a kind of It, it is in yeah, a kind yeah. of um, so I bought a couple of digital packs of baseball cards that are actually officially licensed licensed by the MLB and the MLB Player Association. And did you open them all? Because that was I, one op- I bought three packs, right? Okay. I opened them all. Uh, I got a lot of. Base. What's your What's your cost on the packs? So each pack was fifty dollars. So I'll let okay. you do the math. Right. Okay. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is that? Uh, <laughs> Some big numbers. 
so um, I pulled a couple of uncommon cards, but I pulled one what they called epic cards, right? So that means it's just it's purple, and they made and they only copied the file fifty times. You know, so <laughs> I had one of 50 of George Springer, who is a Toronto Blue Jay, used to be a Houston's Astro player, um, his epic card, right? So it has a fake signature on the front of it. And the stats on it are just like a baseball card, except they update in real time. And on the back of it as well, they have the stats. Wait, so it's not like the stats update in real time. Yeah, it's like a digital baseball card that you touch. The front of it has like the picture with like the signature. You touch it, and then it flips over, and it has stats that update real time, even as the game is happening. And it also has a highlight video that's about five to ten seconds long of their best play <laughs> of the year so far. Right? That's wow, crazy. that's actually right. kind of cool. So, so, so yeah, it's it's a neat idea. Um, so what's your update? So the update is, I looked at it and I was like, this is cool and all, but like at the same time, like after like three days of not really looking at it, I was like. I'm going to sell while it's hot. So I um, I put that George Springer card and a couple of my other cards on the little auction marketplace there. My George Springer card sold for $150. So on one card, you made all of your money back. I made back. all my money back, yeah. And then the other cards have sold for like 3 to $4. So by the time I pay the little fee to put it on the marketplace, so they get you because it's, it's their proprietary marketplace. Um, I'm going to make $8. It was a fun ride. It was fun. It was, it was, fun. It was <laughs> so much fun. And to be honest, I didn't have to open that George Springer card that paid for all three of my packs. So, you know, not bad. All right, so you're plus $8. Plus $8, and I'm keeping three of the cards. Just to say, I have three of the cards from the first ever Tops or not Tops uh, MLB NFTs. Hey, and you never know. Those might be And they might skyrocket, or this company might go under in Sit on them like you forgot about Bitcoin for 10 years, and then log into your account and be like, oh. I can sell these for everything. Yeah. But if they keep updating, like, as he gets older, Mm -hmm. does his picture change? He gets, like, fatter. (laughs) 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 They go go find him in 30 years. That's a fair question. All all his stats go down, now it's not worth much. That'd be pretty great. Pretty great if they did that, though. Yeah, I hope they do. I've got cards like that for me, but they're driver's licenses. <laughs> <laughs> Chat, the, the stats change every year. Weight, height, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah man, changes up to date. Okay, so I have a baseball topic I want to talk to you guys about. Okay, I hope I know a little bit. So all of this talk about baseball with you, Cliff is a big Atlanta Braves fan. I was uh-huh. at his house the other day. And, uh, you didn't jump on the bandwagon? And uh, he, uh, we, the baseball was on, and I just like, you know what? I was like, you know what? I kind of want to like enjoy baseball more. Yeah. I don't have a strong affiliation to any team. Like, you know, I was around when the Rangers were playing in the World Series. The couple, like two years in a row, they played in the World Series, if I remember uh-huh. correctly. Yeah, 10 and, and 12. And I was kind of like, you know, kind of like kind of a Rangers fan, but like more of a bandwagon fan. Yep. Don't, and I've don't. been I've been to like a couple Rangers games, but I – I don't have this, like, and I think this is almost any sport, except Texas Tech sports, uh-huh. where I am a hardcore fan. Even in the NBA, I like to follow players not and yeah. and not teams. Like, I don't have a strong affiliation to, like, a specific team. In the NFL, I have a strong, like, a reasonably strong affiliation to the Cowboys. I've been to a Cowboys game. Um, I've grown up liking the Cowboys. So, I guess in the NFL, I'm a Cowboys fan. Um but in baseball, I don't have a strong affiliation to a fan. So my mission is to, like, latch on to a baseball team uh-huh. and, like, be a fan. And okay. I want to be a, a fan of this team. Okay. 
because I don't have a strong affiliation to any player to like follow a certain player. But because we talk about baseball so much, you want to have something to do with. I want to have something to do with it, and. I kind of want to be a fan of a baseball team. Yeah. Savannah Bananas, that's all you need. Savannah, Savannah Bananas. Bananas. Hey, I brought that to the show. They are fantastic. You did. You did. Great. But I would love to go to a Savannah Bananas game, but... They sell it like crazy. I want to be like an ML. Like, I want to have... Like, I'd love to go to... You want to have a proper I team. I want to have a proper team. Because they do, like, a couple games a year, and yeah. they're all impossible to get into. So it's not realistic to be a fan of that. So I need a I need a major league baseball team. So I guess my topic to bring to the conversation uh, is like sell you on white should be the Giants. Who who should I be a fan of? Actually, I would say not the Giants because their ten o'clock games get old. <laughs> 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 but um, as long as it's not the Dodgers, man, I don't care. You know, I just love baseball in general. Obviously, I pull for my Giants. You know, th- so so you're an anti Dodgers fan. Yeah, being a Giants fan through and through, like with family from the Bay Area, I just can't support them. Um. But I mean, like, if you if you wanted to root for the team that buys, you know, their wins, then go go, you know, go root for the Dodgers. Go for the Dodgers. The my only affiliation to, to the Dodgers would be that. <laughs> my only affiliation to the Dodgers would be that I just watched this fantastic uh, Magic Johnson documentary. Oh yeah, uh, wait, the on documentary HBO, or the, on the HBO, show. the TV so, show. No, no. Uh, okay, or so the, the TV show is on that just released is called Winning Time uh-huh. and it's on HBO Max and it is fantastic. Yep. It is a dramatized version of early Lakers after Jerry Buss bought the team. I think we're all three watching it. I think yes. we can all yes. agree it is great. It's great. I'm only oh. three episodes in there. Okay. Um on Apple TV they have a just released a documentary on Magic Johnson. It's four series episode talks about him playing through his career. Doesn't go into a bunch of the details of his career, just basically championship years and then his HIV uh, you know, announcement mm-hmm. and the dream team a little bit, but there's a ton of documentaries on that yeah. already. And then like post career and how he's like, you know, built uh the movie theater mogul and all yeah, that built the movie theaters in uh, black communities and done all this other stuff. And I was like, man, I really appreciate what Magic Johnson's doing. He's a part owner of the Dodgers, so that is like my only draw to like the Dodgers. Like I love uh, Magic Johnson, and he's a part owner of the yeah. Dodgers. So. But that's not a strong affiliation no, to if, the Dodgers. If you're going to root for an Angel for a Los Angeles team, the Angels, man, with Shohei Otani, that's would be he, fun. Of, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's just like they have Mike Trout, they have Shohei Otani, and a, uh, some other player, good players as well. But like Shohei Otani, he is this dual threat pitcher and hitter. Like he leads off their uh, their lineup, and then he'll turn around. And go pitch, and like, like a, he's a fantastic pitcher, a Babe Ruth player, right there. Yeah, like he almost had. Uh, he was six innings into a perfect game before he lost it the other day. Yeah, um, mm. and this is off. So he hit a couple doubles. He's covered in dirt, and then he's going back to the mound to pitch the rest of his perfect game. You know, uh, but then he lost it in the seventh. Um, so you're saying Angels? Are I, th- good. I think now what I don't want to do either is like jump on a bandwagon. Like I don't want to feel like oh, uh, so Cliff was like trying to sell me uh, on the but Braves. That's, but that's why you're doing it now, no. and you're not doing it. But later so Braves just won the World Series. I'm like I don't want to yeah. like jump on a bandwagon. So like I want them to be like kind of good and like historically kind of good and like in the hunt every year. But I don't want to feel like I'm jumping on a bandwagon and being like oh, when'd you you know you're if, just jumping on the bandwagon because there's a of lot of this. really exciting teams. Uh, if you're not going to pick uh, the Giants, right? Because obviously that's my number one pick. Um, but I think if you want to go with teams that have younger talent that are looking really promising, Tampa Bay Rays. Mm-hmm. If they're going to stay in Tampa Bay, they would be an exciting team. See, to they're, <laughs> they're an out because if they're thinking about moving. Well, they're not really thi- like the, 
not going to happen this year. Yeah, and it's not going to happen probably anytime soon. Yeah. Um, the athletics, I would not say, you know, follow them because they probably are going to Las Vegas in the next couple of years. Um, just, you know what, just just put all the names in the hat maybe and, I, maybe, and pull really. and see what happens. Don't, maybe. don't, don't pull the Orioles because you'll never be happy. Uh, no, maybe no. I should write a <laughs> maybe I should write a letter to each team Ooh. and Look, see who tweet, responds. Tweet out to each one and see who responds to you. All I, I know barely is like, have a Twitter. I think this could go <laughs> this could go either way. Like you could just get a crappy team and and I will enjoy listening to you be upset and hating on the the rest of the the year. Or you could have a good team and hate on them because maybe they they're not playing good in the last stretch. Steve, do you have an affiliation to baseball? I do not. I went to three ball games in my life. Okay, and I'm, I'm curious about those. what. What yeah, did you I, go to? Uh, I was at an Indians game. Okay, I was at a um, Rangers game. Uh-huh. And um, see, I, I I lived outside of uh, Cleveland for a little bit of my life. You so, could be a Guardians fan now. So I yeah, could be me an off. Indians fan. They were well, playing they're Indians. Guardians. They're Guardians. They're Guardians now. Okay. Yeah, because it threw me off. I was like. Is there a pro team playing a triple A team? Like who are the Guardians? I oh, totally yeah. forgot no, first they year, changed yeah, their name. First year they are the Guardians. Uh, so what was the third team? Do you so, remember? So, so I was just going to share with you. I'm not a lot of help to you because what I really stood out for me was the hot dogs and the beer. Oh yeah. So, right. uh, you, you, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like there is a romanticism to the ballparks themselves, and, and in the, it is sitting a hot dog, a beer. The people watching, people watching the, the music, it's the whole thing. It's such a long game. I got into it's that. It's three hours on average. But it's still <laughs> <laughs> three minutes under three hours. But, but still, it's, it's there's only so much that happens in. Right. It's kind of oh. like, like chess with more people. Right. So oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it's, there is a lot of downtime. There, there, I, will, there there, is, I will say, yes, there is There's a lot. So there's a lot of looking around. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of talking with your buddies because you usually probably didn't go by yourself. You know, oh, I, I and then you know, and a lot of times it's like zero to sixty. You know, you're talking with someone, you hear the crack of the bat, and, and then you're, like, then you're yeah, 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 I get that, and that's it's, and that's part of the reason it's a lot why like fly fishing. Yeah, exactly. It's the romanticism of it, you know, and it's just man, there's some there's something poetic about baseball. There's something special about it for that reason, you know. And that's why you're gonna you like. You know Bull what? Durham. I decided I'm gonna do <laughs> is I'm going to write. I'm, I'm not gonna handwrite, but I'm gonna type a letter out. And say, hey, my two best friends, a couple best friends, they're fans of the Giants, the Braves. Gabe, who are you a fan of? I don't. I, I'm, you, who uh, cares? Yeah, I, I just, well, I'm just. We can put your team in a hat. But that's. But that's the thing. Like, we won't put the Dodgers in there. I think. I think. I think can't, I can't, and I'm just going to write a letter. And I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to say, I am a late onset trying to be a baseball fan, and I do not have a team to root for. So why should I be a fan of your team? And if any team responds. I like legitimately responds uh, to my request and like gives me a solid answer as to why I think I'll be a fan of their team. You could do it like a dating app. Yeah, you know, do a oh, little yeah. video. Yeah. Of, I'm I'm landing. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a baseball. Team. I'm looking for a baseball team. Yeah. Or you could just pick the Rockies because like they're doing better than they were supposed to this year, and everyone loves going to Colorado. Yeah, yeah it's just maybe. A, and they got Chris Bryant I, for at least seven years. I think I I'm think not it, as hardcore right now as you're naming off these players. That like at one point. When I when I was working for the local double A ball club for that short time, yeah, you you were listening to a lot of stuff. You you're seeing these guys that were getting called up because there's so many players. Yeah. There are so many guys that are on these rosters that can be that can from one day to the next. And I think that's what I enjoyed about the sport is that you could be pitching 
double A one night, single, whatever. You do pitching in the lower leagues. Your majors, and day. then you're called up, and you're only maybe called up for that one game. Maybe you called up for for six years. It just it could go either way, yeah. and, and all the ballparks are different. And I've just been lucky where I've been in some some cool kind of baseball history um, when the when the the uh, Detroit um, went, I think it was like 2007, 2008, um, Ordonez hits the game-winner home run to take the, the Detroit Tigers to the World Series uh, against the A's. I was at that game. It was uh, NLC or NL, whatever, one of those. And it was just the coolest thing, you know, pack ball park at night, you know, downtown Detroit, and Ordonez hits that thing. And the cool thing now is like, you can see that moment on YouTube, you know, that it, from other people in grainy video because we all had crappy cell phones <laughs> yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. But you can see that. And then being younger, one of Eddie Murray's last games, or, or when he went back to uh, to the Orioles and he and the, that first game back, we couldn't get tickets. I happened to be in Baltimore that that day. We couldn't get tickets to that game. He comes back and he hits like a home run, you know, and and on those games. So it's just like these little cool. Well, isn't that what baseball is all about? Yeah. Is like so it's hard to say. Like moments. I've got a, I got a yeah, favorite so if you want a historical team, team, Yankees. I mean, yeah. no, I don't. They have twenty seven. No, honestly, what I want to do is baseball is kind of like a romantic sport. I'm going to write each yeah. of them a romantic letter. Yeah, you know, put some Except flowers and some hearts we'll, in there. Dodgers don't care about you. They won't. They won't. They'll be the first ones to be like, we got a fan. We got a fan. Magic Johnson is going to write me back personally. They want, and then I can report back on the podcast and see if anyone's responded to my letter. No. And that would be kind of a fun update. Yeah, and then take boxing this, lessons if you want to be a Dodgers fan. This will be uh, <laughs> this will be kind of like a fun uh, fun thing for me to do and follow. So I'm going to type up a letter, explain the situation, and be like, "Hey, I'm looking for a baseball team to be a fan of. I yeah. currently don't have one. See who responds, and then you know, and then make my decision." I right. actually don't mind that idea. Yeah. Hey, at the very least, it's good for content. Oh yeah. Because think I'm about the, think it, think I don't think anybody's going to respond, but it'd be interesting to see hey, they did. And if no one responds, <laughs> episode two hundred is like, oh yeah, remember, remember back <laughs> in like ninety three letters. <laughs> and if no one responds, I'm going to write to the commissioner and say, hey, you have a bad league. I personally wrote to oh, how many baseball teams are there? Thirty. I'm gonna, I personally wrote to thirty baseball teams, and none of them responded to <laughs> he me. He won't care. I am disappointed, and you have lost a forever. Baseball fan. fan. I'm moving to women's lacrosse now. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Hey, you know what? Let's do it. Because really, I was thinking about, like, other than tech sports, I'm, like, something. not a hardcore fan. Like, I like the Cowboys, but I'm so constantly disappointed by the Cowboys, I do not tune in. Yeah. So, other than that. Well, if you don't, if you don't want disappointment, I'll give, you a, I'll give you the short list of who you can write to. <laughs> Realistically, like if you if you want somebody who's going to win at least half their games. Well, if I did that, I just root for the rank Yankees, I guess. But I don't know. Really they may not win half their games. I don't know. But if someone personally writes me back, hey, this is so and so from yeah, that's special. And that's the might. romantic thing about baseball, right? That's she why everyone me. loves it. She, she likes, likes me. me. Hey, you know what? I have a friend who works for MLB. Maybe I'll reach out and be like, hey, get the Giants to write him back. Yeah. Oh, you have a friend that works for MLB? Yeah, maybe uh, Maybe there's something there. All right, let's move on. But you might you might so, get a different response. You might get, dear Landon. <laughs> Here's 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write us ever again. <laughs> hey, that would be great. 
Hey, and at it, the very it's, least, it's not you. If I get a it's, not, it's not you. It's not it's you. Us. It's us. You should write half of them in like pen and write half of them in crown and see if we get a better return on the crown. Ones. Ooh, so we could do some like. <laughs> yeah, but do it like in like the old no, but like world or like a uh, uh, Civil War kind of like no, writing. No, but what, what, what I think. <laughs> it has I'll... been 18 days since we've like gone out. <laughs> 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 uh, what I what I think I'll do is Dear I Samantha. I, what I what I think I'll do is I will legitimately if a team writes me back, uh, let let's just say like I think it's a long shot for one team to write me I back. Agree. So if one team writes me back, I think I'm going to become a fan of that team because they wrote me back. Yeah. Number two, I will personally travel. Um, oh, look at this to guy. their home field oh. and watch a baseball game. Even if it's the Blue Jays. Yeah, no kidding. We got to get passports. Well, well, I mean, that's not that big. <laughs> yeah. You're good for 10 years. You'll use a passport again. Yeah, uh, I'll personally travel to their home stadium to watch a baseball game. So there will be some money incentivation. Oh, sentimizing my trip. And then a couple hot dogs and a beer. Oh, my God. I'm you spending know, 15 you, know what you should do? You should find the average price of beer at the stadium, and whoever has the cheapest, that should be your favorite <laughs> team. Hey, Ooh. that I'll do that as the backup. <laughs> That's your backup. If no one writes me back. Just remember, Blue Jays, though, everything's in Canadian dollars. So, yeah, so the dollar goes be. further. So the dollar goes further. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Got to pay the import tax on their Bud Light. So... We'll what see. would you like to declare? <laughs> I'm a Toronto Blue Jays fan. <laughs> so that's going to be my project. I'll I'll keep you guys up. I like that idea. That's a good idea. So um, McKinnon and I took the trailer out for the first time How'd camping. It, go? it was great. We had a great time. Yeah. Little what was okay? Little so in that first time, what was the worst thing that you? Maybe it's not bad, but what was? You know, what was the worst thing about it, and what was the best thing about it? So the best thing about it was a camp. Okay, so I wouldn't consider it a real camping trip. Number one. Because, like, we didn't cook there. We weren't there all the time. We went to vi- visit McKenna's family for Easter. Oh, that's And right. we, like, slept there. And then we were at their house during the day. We were eating with them, doing that sort of thing. I would say the best thing was the campsite. And I really wish we could have spent more time there because it was really nice. And it was right on Brushy Creek. And so, like, if I had time and we were camping there for a full weekend, I could have just walked to Brushy Creek and started fishing. And they had a pool there. And it was kind of like a nice deal. Like, we could have swam, like, fish in Brushy Creek, done this whole thing. It would have been a nice trip. But because we were there for Easter and visiting family, it was mainly like, a, hey, we're going to go test the camper out, make sure everything works, and then we're going to be at the family's house eating and hanging out. It's with an them. easy way to break it in. It's an easy way to break it okay, in. Got it. And if anything goes wrong, we have a backup. Um, breaking it in, nothing went wrong. Um the campsite was nice. The people, like, I have come to realize, like, when you go, like, RVing, the people are super nice. And, like, everyone we talked to was extremely helpful and, like, super down-to-earth nice people. Um, but we didn't spend a lot of time there. But we test everything. AC works. That's a plus. <laughs> That's uh, the, the the power worked. Um, you know, like, setting the trailer up and getting it level and everything like that. It only took me, like, 20 minutes to fully get the trailer set up. Uh, which was nice. Backing it in on the new truck was really nice because I have those like wide mirrors on that on the new Titan. Yeah, they go up. Uh, like like T posts. They don't. They don't hey. go up, but they're further out, so I can see <laughs> around. So like on the frontier, I couldn't see around the trailer with the mirrors, and so like backing was backing it up. I couldn't see anything, so I was relying on someone else relaying that message to me. 
with the with the new truck being bigger and the having the wide mirrors, I can back up very easily. And so that's a nice plus. So like everything went smooth. The trailer was really nice. We had a great time. But I'm excited for uh, the one fly tournament with Alamo Fly Fishers at Camp Wood because we'll be out there for four days. What weekend is that again? Uh, it's in May. Uh, luckily, I have my computer here. It is. Oh, Steve, there's our fishing trip. Let's see. It is the weekend of May 14th and 15th. Okay, so after Mother's Day. After Mother's Day. So if anybody wants to join in on that, that's a great time. I'm hoping you guys come down. And I don't like fishing. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the wrong podcast, man. I don't like fishing. I don't like movies. So, yeah. <laughs> so is yeah. it going to be fun? <laughs> I don't like fun. I want to I really be working at it. Over Overall, uh, A-plus first experience. We had a great time. It was super easy to set up. It was nice to have our own home base. Uh, I'm excited to see what this grows into as far as, like, cooking and, like, the full, like, let's go out and do this experience. Steve, in all your travels, have you done the RV stuff? Like, if given the choice, would you do the RV or do you, like, like getting your hands dirty? Because I feel like I kind of like getting my hands dirty, you know, doing the tent. You know, cooking on a on a on wood. You stove. say that. Let me counter. Let me counter argument that. I don't you do s- that enough. That's the thing. Like you, maybe so that's, that's the, the that's the thing is that I find that like oh I like camping, like not RV camping, but like I like camping. But like realistically, how many times have I done it in the past like two years? Yeah. Not a lot. But because we're RV camping, uh, oh we're going to our families for Easter. We'll take the RV. We'll stay there. We can do our own thing, and then we can go visit them for the day. Oh, this one fly tournament. We can take our RV. Oh, my brother's graduating. Uh, we'll take our RV and stay at a campsite. And so I feel like because of that, we're doing it more because it's not as much of a hassle. I think in doing it that way, you're losing out on all the cool stories, like punching mosquitoes in the face or running out of toilet paper. Like you're doing right now. Like we're doing yeah. right, now. right now. So our listeners can't tell that some of us are completely covered. <laughs> I've taken a picture. This will be on Instagram right, tonight. Right, right. And, and I'm oh, jealous yeah. because I, I, would, I would do this. But, and you have a cloud around you. Right, exactly. An aura a of mosquitoes. shirt with so much exposed skin. Oh, my so God. to answer your I mean, question. I'm glad for me, but I'm sad for, the, for you. <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, I have camped, as you might guess, all over the place, all right. different ways on the uh, actually on the Serengeti and the Namibian Desert, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've done it where just laying on the ground with a fire, and I've actually had it where the lions are roaring outside of my camp, and that's why I've done it for so many years that I am ready for RV. I just don't have one, but yeah, yeah. That, that and the cloud of mosquitoes. So. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like I made an early, like, uh, you know, uh, Early uh, life decision. Fine, fine. So, so right. I still enjoy it. Yeah, but but now knowing yeah, it exists, now, and now given the opportunity, I still love to go like tent camping and do that sort of thing. But given our family, you know, dynamic, and you know our our family situation, RV camping is the way, best way for us to get out and do it. So I'm all on board, and it's been a great experience so far. Um, let's move on to. Uh, Let's see. We'll do my article full first. Florida man. Florida man? No fooling. All right. It's kind of like hold my beer. All right. You know what I'm saying. It's just Florida man. That's all it is. Okay. This is a uh, positive Florida man story. Oh, positive Florida man. Yeah. Uh, I think Evan sent this to us. A Florida man traps over 100 invasive tegu lizards. 
Tegu, 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 Tegu. But now I want to know how Tegu lizards. So apparently, uh, this guy's retired gentleman in Florida, mm-hmm. and instead of spending his time at the retirement home and doing that, his hobby is trapping invasive species. Oh, so he's cool. doing a you know a great thing for conservation. He's sixty years old and has single handedly captured at least a hundred and seventeen. Argentine black white tegus from the woods neighborhoods of western Fort Pierce where he lives. Um, uh, in September, after the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission saw how skilled he was at catching uh, non-native tegus on his own, biologists lent him, biologists are working with him, they lent him 20 traps and recruited him as a volunteer. And he's caught 31 this year alone. Yeah. Uh, he personally grew up a big reptile guy. Um and was an employee at the Saint Lucie nuclear plant. Uh, his first catch was a female in 2019, measuring just under four feet long. Okay, and so so he he worked he worked at the nuclear plant. He worked at the nuclear. Is plant. Anybody making sure he's not making Godzilla? Did <laughs> <laughs> right. anyone ask the hard hitting question? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe. I mean, what's he doing with these? What's he doing with these these lizards? <clears throat> and he personally said, "I don't want them to be here, but it's fun." Um, a tegu lizard is a species that arrived in Florida through a, the exotic pet trade. They're one of the largest lizards in the Western Hemisphere, achieving a length of four feet long, according to the University of Florida. Um, their diet includes fruits, vegetable, eggs, insects, and small animals. As a predator, as, as a man, I have drinking too much. As a predator, <laughs> oh, gosh. the tegu is like this. Tequila was fantastic. Gabe. You're welcome is likely to have harmful effects on South Florida's native wildlife, according according to the University of Florida. Um, they eat buried eggs of reptiles, specifically alligator and turtle eggs. And so that's the concern there, is that they're eating the native species eggs. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll stop it there. I think, you know, round of applause to... Take go, man. Take you, man. Take you, man. <laughs> we have a Florida man story that is positive bad. and supports I mean, conservation. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's awesome. It supports con- conservation and everything. I think it would have been cool if it was like Florida man catches these lizards on like gas station hot dogs. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. Or I was Hill. waiting for that drop. Yeah. That he was catching them on. Oh, so you were saying it was like. Hot Cheetos. You're Florida saying, man catches lizards <laughs> on hot Cheetos. Hot so Cheetos, yeah. You're, yeah. Hot Cheetos you're, and saying, light. you're saying that the story wasn't Florida man enough. Yes, it was gotcha. not. You, yeah. Basically, we were just talking about a f- guy in Florida. I mean, you got me close when he said worked at a nuclear power plant. <laughs> I, honestly, I was like expecting for that. You like, know. oh, here's the twist. Yeah, and then you, you know you I said gotcha. that he's a uh, four foot, you know, four foot long lizards, and he's catching them with one hand. I I still think we're about three years from a big twist. Maybe. Like giant well, lizards. we'll report on yeah. it if it said happens. Single-handedly. Single-handedly. One-handed. Giant lizards. <laughs> um, I mean, like, that's like, I want to do an article about the Burmese pythons that are out there. Yeah, that's a big problem. Yeah. Those things are n- crazy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Borsky. Doesn't Borsky go and, and catch a catch uh, base of snakes? Um, you know, drives around at night and Maybe goes. So. And, Man, and those things are crazy, though. Yeah. Not so much the, the Burmese, but some other ones. I went to drive a around. snake rabbit hole on Instagram last night. Really? Yeah, so all of them. How did you get from, let me ask you this, how did you get from A River Runs Through It yeah. that you're watching for our movie review podcast to a snake rabbit hole? He needed, needed a river. I want to know, like, what was the gap? Like, how did you get from point A like, to point River B? runs through it, 
fly fishing rivers, snake river. Oh, hey, the snakes. I, I have yeah. no clue how the algorithm got me there. All I know is I was watching people catch fish. I swipe, and next thing I know, this guy has an anaconda that's like 35 yeah. feet long, and he's holding it by its tail, and that thing looks like a giant sea monster just flipping around in the river. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And so I looked up anacondas. The green so anacondas are was crazy. Was this on Instagram? Yeah. yeah. yeah then the, the algorithm the caught you. The Boom. algorithm got me. Yeah, I mean, hey, it worked because then I spent the next hour looking at different snakes. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I got to the Burmese pythons there in Florida, and I was like, what does a baby Burmese python look like? That way if I know I know how to stomp on it. <laughs> Not really. Don't kill snakes. But No, no, but Burmese pythons that are invasive to Florida. You stomp on those. You can stomp on those. Yeah. All right, Gabe. Or you uh, can just send them back to Burma. Yeah. Oh, That's a lot of shipping costs, though. <laughs> get pretty big. So, Gabe, you have an article for us. Uh, shark fins, apparently. Uh, conservation oh, yeah. Corner, Zach? Pop it. Pop it. I forget because Cliff doesn't tell me it's Conservation <laughs> it's Corner. It's really not C4 anymore. It's no. Gabe's Conservation Corner yeah. now. Well, I just so happened the last couple of articles GCC. have been that. What about Gabe's Corner? Gabe's Corner. <laughs> I think we've already lost membership right we got, there. We right? got to get like Delilah's on like Gabe's corner. Quit your stuff. Anyway, so in San Antonio this this week, I'm sure you guys have by, by the I time I actually have not. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm literally. sure by the time that this comes out, this this podcast comes out, everyone and their mom will know about this. So in San Antonio, Texas game wardens say they discovered a large number of shark fins at a San Antonio seafood establishment on Wednesday during a routine inspection. <laughs> it could be that place we talked about. Okay, <laughs> name that place, though. That's, are we going to so, name it? No, they don't name it yet. I'm sure it's going to come out because they, they still say it's, it's in... Um, you know, it's it's investigation. an investigation, uh, but they said that they found 381 whole shark fins, along with 29.2 pounds of frozen shark fins inside the restaurant's commercial freezer. The um, pictures are crazy. Yeah, I mean, they, there's a. The, How have I not seen this? I don't is know because it's been everywhere. Yeah, it's on the Texas Game Warden uh, Instagram page. It's been everywhere. I think it's even hit up on um, on uh, the the game meat eater on yep. meat eater and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, this is, I mean, literally they're, they're the picture shows, uh, two gentlemen, two, um, uh, game wardens in front of their truck. And it looks like there's maybe like, I mean, 300 pieces. So, I mean, it just looks from afar, it looks like little small fish, but those are all fins. Um, and so they, they found it in this commercial walk-in commercial freezer. They haven't, they said the case is still pending, so they haven't, um, you know, they, they haven't name the restaurant or the owners yet um, and all the shark fins were were seized. So the question if you, becomes... If you live in San Antonio, you probably know which one we're thinking it is. Well, it what, has, do you, what do you guys it think has it to is? some serious alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> name it. Name drop them. I don't want to name drop them if it's not them. It probably no. isn't them. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to think. Like, even, you know, I, I know we've got uh, you know, Ethiopian restaurants, we have Indian restaurants, we have some really, really cool hole-in-the-wall places that are really good. I just can't I don't know. I mean, obviously it's probably a Chinese restaurant, right, making the soup or they're they're a middleman for someone else. It's just the weirdest thing that they would on upon a food inspection open a walk-in freezer and find 300 and some What's the potential punishment? That's what I want to know. Are they going to get nailed to the wall? It should, it should you, be stiff. Yeah. I can hope you, it's stiff. Can I do you too. Can you uh fin sharks in the Gulf? Okay. 
no. yeah, yeah, no, in Texas, so in June 2015, Greg Abbott signed a bill uh, that was into law that made the sale, trade, purchase, and transportation of shark fins in Texas illegal. Okay, that's good. Um, so the buying, selling, transportation, or possession of shark fins for the purpose of sale is a Class B misdemeanor punishable with up to 180 days in a county jail or up to $2,000 in fines. That's it. How much you want to bet nobody gets jail time? No, they won't get any jail time. No. I mean, I doubt it. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they should get nailed to the wall, personally. I do, too. I think it's too light. Yeah. Do you guys follow that girl on um, Instagram, Shark Girl Madison? No. Pretty interesting. She uh, she works in... Is it Shark Boy and Lava Girl? No. Different. <laughs> but, uh, no, but she's pretty interesting. So, she goes to um, countries where shark finning is really popular, and she un- she's not, like, going at them and saying, like, you guys are so evil for doing this. What she's doing is she understands that most of these people in these countries do it because they have to feed their families. Right. And so she is training them on how to use their boats and their skills for other things in order to give them an, a way out. So it's not just like you're evil for doing this, but I'm not going to help you. Yeah. She's actually using her resources to teach them other ways and show them how they can actually turn a profit doing these other things. Um, and that way they can also be advocates for, for shark finning as well in their own in their own uh, countries. So it's it's pretty interesting. She kind of gets on soapboxes every now and then, but who doesn't? And uh, But it's 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 pretty great. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's like when I was in Africa, and the nations that have legalized controlled hunting had the healthiest populations. Really? And the places that where it was illegal to hunt, theoretically. Uh, I lived in the Ivory Coast for almost two years, and it was illegal to hunt there, but it was very... Everybody was poaching because there's no money to pay for the enforcement. Right. There's no control of it or anything. Right. So it's going to be monetized one way or another. Yeah. You guys see my dog? Yes. Oh, he looks so sad. He's not with us right now. He does look very sad. But if if he knew how many mosquitoes were out here right now. Yeah, that's true. He he wouldn't care. He'd be a... Yeah, he I think one just took my wallet. He's, he's taking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> then you're lucky because it's got a couple points of my blood. <laughs> they, have, they have long, they have long noses because they're getting me through. You got a thick jacket, jacket on. Yeah, you must like be a, hot. Yeah, I'm not cool. You look like you got like <laughs> a like a banded duck jacket on. Yeah. So Zach, what did you, what do you what did you bring to the podcast today the for year? your creature? Oh, ooh, ooh. This is our uh, cryptozoology. Yeah, creature watch. Creature watch. So I bring you the story of the Yeren. Okay. So it is Chinese. It means wild man. And it is a cryptid ape man uh, that lives in remote mountainous regions of China. Uh, Now, guys, uh, I'm going to try to attempt these words, please. Uh, Don't make fun of me. It's just, there's a lot. Uh, Can't be any worse than than last week, so. No, last week was great. (laughs) Uh, so it's in the Shenangjia, Shenangjia, forestry district in the Hubei province. Like I said, it sounded legit. I'm really gonna struggle. Just with roll it. with it. Like yep. say it with confidence. There like do go. it again and just do it with confidence. I'm not gonna do it again. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So when do you guys think the Yaren was kind of first, first identified, first talked about? And I will say it's one of our older ones. Really, really, really. I, mean, I think about how old like just Chinese culture is. 1500 BC. Okay. Zero. Okay. What do you think? Zero and one. Oh. Zero. Oh. Zero. Damn. Uh, okay. <laughs> Zero. 
zero point one. It is actually three forty BC, BCE. BCE. Okay, yeah. so Gabe would have been the closest thing. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah. you said zero and you said what fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. Um, Minus fifteen hundred. So originally it was just considered the hairy man, right? But over <laughs> <laughs> are we back to wow. Florida man? <laughs> yeah, because there's a Florida man of the yeah. Chinese. <laughs> but right around the Tang Dynasty, which was six eighteen nine hundred seven CE, uh, is really when the legend kind of turned into the Yeren. Right, so this is considered a strong, fast-moving ape-like creature that lives in the mountains, and it actually does descend and come into the villages, and it raids them for food and people. So, to eat the people, I mean, just kind of you just get people. They just that's, they just hang out together. Is like this we're, a cannibalism? <laughs> kind of like, kind of like we're doing. It might be cannibalism. It might. Be, it also says from for wed to wed. What? So, oh. <laughs> so the hairy man wants to wed some village people. Okay. So. <laughs> Did he find any chickens with boobs like we had last week? No chickens with boobs like last week. I missed out on a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the boob chicken was great. Yeah. I actually forget his name. <laughs> um, okay. So what's weird about this one, though, is like, right, so like there's this Chinese culture um, that they really embrace this character. People have looked for it, and, and there's been claimed sightings of it for years and years, right? However... In the 50s, huge scientific interest erupted in China, right? So the government actually hired people to find this creature. Um, a lot of people relate it to Bigfoot and the Yeti, right? Uh, but the government told people that they should leave all those kind of folk stories behind because they wanted proof. They felt like with the number of people who had seen this creature that it must actually be out there. So, in 1977, 109 military personnel, zoologists, biologists, and photographers launched a Yaren expedition on behalf of the Chinese Academy of Sciences to find this creature, right? Uh, They had many expeditions where they would go out, collect footprint samples, hair samples, and they recorded every single sighting from any village that anybody had ever seen. And... They didn't really turn up anything. Uh, they eventually turned into hunts, and that actually had some of the largest involvement because they opened up the hunts to not just the scientific population, but all of the villages and the people who wanted to go, you know, kill themselves a year in. Um, but again, it didn't really turn out too much. Um, a lot of people ended up just saying that it was probably some sort of gigantic ape-like creature, nothing too crazy, nothing too out of the norm. Um, and then finally in the eighties, uh, a lot of books started to become published about the Yaren. Uh, but by this time, a lot of people kind of just were, were leaving it up to just hoaxes and folklore. In, in your travels, have you, have you run into talking with locals about, you know, any type of local folk folklore or stories or, you know, shape shifting stuff or weird weird things that they couldn't comprehend or Sure, but back when I was a Florida man. <laughs> ah, there we go. All <laughs> they right. Had the, they had the skunk ape. The, the skunk, skunk ape. You don't know that? We yeah. talked about the skunk ape. Yeah, the yeah. Skunk ape, yeah. We had the skunk ape and so but we didn't find him either. Yeah, no. No. Or like the snipe. What was the, I had the one last week. Do you right have here? it in there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. it was a last it was from what do we say, from like Germany or the Alps? No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a and it was a chicken. And literally, 
It was a <laughs> there it is <laughs> the chicken yeah. with I mean imagine walking out and seeing this thing yeah it was the uh, Farfanugan the, the Elvetrish Elvetrish <laughs> Elvetrish yeah so Look that's that. a statue of the Elvetrish yeah but that was last week now you know they they haven't <laughs> it's not it's a scientific replication replica uh, of what it should look uh, like I think I've met her before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Imagine walking out and seeing that. Just like, what? What the hell is that? You know, and then having to go back and tell your friends. Hey, guess what yeah, I saw? I saw it's a chicken, and it had a rack on it. <laughs> you know, it's like you guys crazy, You're out of control. All right, Steve, we're glad you're with us today. I'm glad to be here. So, um, you your second book has just come out, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? In more detail than you you shared in the beginning. Okay. Well, um, we already know about the first one, which is focused here in the Texas Hill Country. Yep. So what I did here is I metaphorically and in reality went out like ripples from a pond, and I decided I was going to go after native fish. So going back in the first book, it's basically just me, you know, alone mostly. And I wanted to go out and reach out and meet people like y'all, and I was going to fish with them in their native waters across America. So it's all fresh water except for two stories that are salt. And I went after native trout and other fish. Why Why the, the importance of native fish? Well, as I said, I'm not just writing about fly fishing mm-hmm. or even just about fishing. So there's layers to all these things when you're reading the stories. I want people to have fun and enjoy the adventure, and I want them to feel, the, I want them to feel the biting of the mosquitoes on my, you know, I want I want them to I want them to I want them to, I want them to be able to laugh at me as I'm falling down the mountainside and all these sort of things. But so I want them to have the adventure with me, but I also want them to learn a whole lot about what's going on in that place with ecology. Because as you know, I think that I'd like to see all us anglers, hikers, hunters, whatever pay more attention to the place we love. So native fish are a great bellwether. They really do show you what we're doing to a space, to an area. So that that was one of the reasons. The other thing is, uh, I don't want to get too deep here, but it feels to me like this is a time when we're not always treating each other very well, and it's really easy to look at the news and lose all hope. So as you know, I spent 35 years of my life armed and dealing with terrorists and criminals and drug dealers and gun runners. Oh my. Yeah. And um, I wanted to meet some of the best people. And that's what I did in this book. So what you're going to see is that I traveled all over the country. I met great people sometimes, very often for the first time. Many of us have become friends forever. Um, It's full of hope. And I have them take me, you know, up into the Tungus wilderness of Alaska. I have them take me out of Cape Cod into the surf. I... We so, we go on adventures together. So you have people who are taking you after their pride and joy as if yes. we were taking you on a trip for the Guadalupe Bass because it's our pride and joy. If I didn't already have it, it's my yeah. pride and joy. Yeah. Uh, but we could pretend and take each yeah. other. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's exactly right. I want to see why do you love this? And then here's the next question. What are you worried about? What do you see? Because here's what I found. Everywhere I've traveled around the world and across this country, and I've done four continents now, it's the same story. Things are vanishing. 
So if, as anglers, as hunters, or whatever, I mean, it, things are just changing so, so fast. So I want to hear from people in Alaska, in Colorado, in the Amazon, what's going on here? What have you seen in 20, 30, 40 years? And also I write about what the good stuff is because there is good news. Yeah. So it's, it's really been an adventure mm-hmm. because do you have a cough button? Wait, <laughs> I think he swallowed a mosquito. So he swallowed a mosquito. mosquito. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that just seems like justice right there because they're, <laughs> they're eating, they're eating me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, what you were saying is really good about the hope because I think as reporting on all the conservation issues, all, I mean, we're on episode, this is what, probably 91, 92. Yep. Uh, I know episode 90 just came out, so we'll just say we've done 90 episodes that have been been released. And um, the conservation stuff we talk about is always, like, really sad and full of despair. And I think it's really good. I think that's in one thing that Graham talked about when he was on our podcast early on is that like we need more hope in conservation. We need to to celebrate the success and the things that are good. So I do appreciate that because working in conservation can be feel like an always uphill battle. And I'd say we need more hope in humanity. Yeah. That's just me because um so I used to teach at college, you know that. I was a college professor and I taught counterterrorism, homeland security criminal justice and criminology. But with all those things, one of the things I used to do is I'd draw a little picture on the whiteboard of a stick figure and I'd say, okay, let's make him a Texan. I'd put a cowboy hat on it, stuff like this. Put a circle around it and I'd ask my students, uh, okay, it's your first test. You've got five seconds to answer the question. I want you to get rid of all war, all crime, and all human-caused degradation of the earth. you got five seconds, do it. And I would tell them that that drawing was all of humanity. Very rarely would they get the answer, which is cut through that drawing and get rid of humans. Now, I'm not advocating for that for a bit, but I told them, here's the good news. If we are almost all of what's causing it, we're almost all of the solution. So the other part is I've had hope because I've been traveling, meeting people like y'all, and we go fishing. Let me tell you, that is, you know, John Garrock, I believe, once wrote something that um, uh, you might have to beat me. But he would say a-holes and, and, and phonies, they don't last long in a fishing trip before you know who they are. And fishing, you know, people just are themselves. Um, I'll also say that I don't go fishing with just anyone. You know, I don't go out hiking or hunting with just anyone. I want people that are getting it and are understanding the depth of all the experience. We're sitting around having, we were having some tequila. We had it all. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is a fact. And I, and I helped that. But that's part of it too. So when I'm writing, I try to put in all the culture, the food, the drink, the music, the whole thing. Because that's what's really great about it all. That's where all the hope is. You know, it's the whole thing. So, um, and I won't go on too much. You know, I don't know if any of you read any Camus, but I love a lot of his quotes. And, one of the things he said is where there seems to be no hope, it's our bo- it's our, it is our job to create it. So I think we do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I think we do that. So this is, that's what I'm really writing about is layers of it. Conservation, it's people. It's a little bit of we can't get there from here. We're going to have to change the way we see things. You can't have 8 billion humans all taking 
we're going to sometimes have to put back. So, uh, and I also try to, I'm not preaching anything because there's nothing, you know what I'm saying? I'm just sharing, look mm -hmm. how beautiful this is. And so I'll take you into the Tongass with me and we'll dodge bears together and we'll pick berries together and, and you'll watch me suffer <laughs> because I'm not as young as I used to be. Yeah. Um, but, but it, those times are make the greatest stories. Yes. And it, it's kind of like we were talking about with the movies earlier. Mm -hmm. The real stories, there's no plot line. It's life. Yeah. And you adapt, you improvise, you overcome. And that's something else that I'm always trying to write into these books is, <laughs> I don't want to be cold about it, but I'd say stop whining. Life happens. One day it's great. Next day it's tough. See what you can learn. Pick up. Move on. You know, it's all good. So I hope I didn't go on too much about that. No, Not no, at all. no. You're good. Um, I'm gonna change uh, gears a little bit. Um, one thing I'm interested in. I know you're match. You're a master naturalist. Is that correct? Yes. Will you talk about that a little bit and what that is? Because that's something that we haven't covered on the podcast before, I don't think. Uh, so I'm a Texas Master Naturalist, and this is run through Texas Parks and Wildlife. Many states have a similar program, and you go through a, you sign up for pay tuition, and you go through a training that is really one of the best experiences I've had. And we study and learn, and my, my focus is I'm the Hill Country chapter, so we study the Hill Country and you do everything from the history of human impact on this area from early Native Americans. You do the geology, soil, trees, forbs, fish, you know, herpetology, the whole thing. And you start learning this whole package of what's going on here. Now, um, after I got my certification, I went hiking with my daughter when she still lived in the United States. And she did a terrible thing to me. She kept saying, Dad, so what's that one? <laughs> she'd, she'd point to every little obscure little tiny plant she could find, and I'd have to say, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but it's um, that's what being a master naturalist is, but the other part to it is we, uh, you then take that knowledge, hopefully, and you volunteer in a way that fits you. So I've done different volunteering. I've volunteered to work with kids from the inner city and teach them about nature. I've volunteered to just do jet random tours, but the one that I really love doing is working with veterans. Mm. Um, wounded warriors, and also people who've gone through various traumatic things, whether it be um, as cancer survivors, um, sexual assault survivors. You know, nature does a lot to heal. Um, so, as we all know, as anglers, we all, we all know that. Yeah. You get so, out. so are you are you taking these these people out in nature, or is it kind of like a class sort of setting? No. Um, it, and there's different things you can do as a master naturalist. Uh, often, what I'm what I've been doing is I'm working with state parks. So I, t I tend to, my number one park that I've volunteered at is Enchanted Rock, which y'all you know. And um, I lead tours. And when I'm doing that, I am teaching people, hopefully, how to see that space. So we may take a, and think about this as an angler, if you just take a piece of the river and you really take a moment to look at that river, you've learned a ton more about the fish than you are simply by catching it and releasing it. And that's the same thing I'm doing with people. And if it's people like wounded warriors, if it's people that have been cancer survivors, they're also learning that it's taking their mind off negative things and looking at how nature adapts and survives and overcomes. So to me, it's, it's a really nice package of paying attention to what's there. Right. Yeah, all the things and, we can learn and take from there. 
Right. And I just did it because just like so many other things in life that make you stay young and you can never learn enough as a naturalist, as a fly angler, as a hunter, you're never done learning. Yeah. As a guitarist, whatever it happens to be, you love to do. As a connoisseur of tequila. Or a bottle boy? Yeah. Yeah, no. bottle boy. Non-alcoholic. <laughs> not an alcoholic. Just a connoisseur. Yeah. Connoisseur. connoisseur. That's what I said. Connoisseur. connoisseur. Yeah. We never said alcohol. And, and I never said bottle boy. No, he, he didn't. <laughs> bottle he did. man. He's a bottle man. Bottle man. No, but that's exactly right. Bottle man. You know what I'm saying? Like it is amazing that I think it's, like you're saying, it's just this added layer of, look, you're already out in nature. It's already different environment than what you're used to on a day-to-day basis anyway inside of your car or you know stuck to a glued to a computer for work um and so that's already there but to to take it that extra step further um and and start getting a better sense of how everything connects or what that is and what it what it does in that in this environment you know i i for a little snippet of time there for whatever dumb reason and i, I started picking it up birding Grabbed oh. a book from from half price. I'm big time burger, right? And so you know. and and it's and and what did it hardcore for about a year um, was at pretty much like every other weekend going down to Mitchell Lake on the south side of town, and you know getting the it got me a camera to start taking you know, cool pictures of stuff, and it was almost like. Pokemon for adults, you know, it's just like <laughs> you know collecting seeing seeing, stuff, just seeing, seeing birds you've never seen that. Yeah. Anyone else walking the dog or walking outside or walking with their friend, I I have a lot more of appreciation of what's going on around me than I did before I got into that. Just by taking that aspect in. Yeah, and now you're seeing stuff that it's easy to walk by and not know that it's there. Yeah. You know, vermilion flycatchers, painted bunning, stuff that when you're looking at it, it's like these are beautiful birds. And, um, you know, you just... So easy to s- stick our head in the phone and and not walk well, around, you know, looking, scrolling through stuff. And well, not that's seeing those you things. know, I, I told you guys last time I went fishing, I stopped for probably about an hour, and I I've, I told you guys I'm starting to watercolor a little bit, and I just watercolored, you know, just taking every little thing I was seeing in and from the trees to the you know, I, I it's the same stretch of river I fished so many times, but I had never noticed certain things that were there because I took the time just to. I don't know. Stop it's, and take it in yeah. without worrying about fishing or catching fish in that in that moment. You know, like I still caught fish, but yeah, I, I've been doing something recently where y'all are gonna think this is nuts, but I'll I'll tell myself I'm gonna catch six, okay, and I'll catch six and I'll snip off, and I'll go hiking in the river. Uh-huh. I'll just walk the river. I'll sit on a rock. Um, actually, there's um, I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm I'm writing for Fly Fisherman Magazine. I'm writing all the the uh, the back page essays now. Okay. And there's one I just did where uh, I turned 60 and I was fishing with a friend here in the hill country. And she noticed that I stopped fishing. I caught a couple. I sat down in a rock and I was, and she wanted to know if I was okay. And I said, Oh, I'm really okay. And she said, well, you know, I'm out fishing you. And I said, you know, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying watching the axis deer go by. It's I'm, my trip too. Yeah. It's right. I'm yeah. just, so, you know, sometimes enough is enough. I may start playing around with catching a few fish and then putting a fly on that doesn't have a hook just for the tug. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But it does make a difference. The same when I was scuba diving a lot. Um, my dad liked to go as fast as he could to catch as, shoot as many fish as he could to catch as many lobsters as he could, and I wanted to explore. 
I wanted to, to see it. But you were mentioning birding. Birding, fish, trees, they all coincide. Once you start seeing that, you're going to notice what's changing. And it's huge, the changes right now. So the birds I see now here at this time of year never existed here before. Really? Uh, and yeah, you, the, I, my, I'd heard this wish, on another podcast that you were on, not not this one. Okay. You were ma- mentioning the same exact thing. Some some sure. birds that were f- roost, roosting further areas are coming in or even going into other areas that they're outside of their normal. Sure. If you start paying attention yeah. as, a, as an angler, you're going to start noticing that the flowers are coming out at a different time. People say, well, so what? Well, flowers make seeds, and seeds are for birds, and birds show up, and the flowers aren't there yet. And I'm seeing that. Just the birds in my own backyard have changed completely, and my former winter birds I looked forward to never showed up this year. Because they didn't get pushed down that far. No. Weather. It's changing, and people might say, well, who cares? Well, in this second book, Casting Onward, uh, one of the places I went is for Apache trout in the Apache wilderness. I talked to the biologist in Arizona who is in charge of that, and I asked him, are they going to survive at all? <coughs> and he said, I, th- I, th- I think they can. I think they can. Well, what we're talking about is Apache trout need cold water. The streams are getting warmer. So they're going up the mountainside. The trout are retreating upwards, but they're almost out of mountain. So the mountain I was fishing on was slightly over 10,000 feet. And I was catching them at 9,000 feet. Well, the river doesn't start at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so there's not much left. So they're so literally running out of cool water, of places to go. Right. They're running out of cold water. Yeah. And it's and to me, I don't want to catch an Apache trout in a mountain lake in Colorado where they don't belong. Right. I mean, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just put them in a cold water aquarium. And just pull them out. Yeah. Dude, get, them, get them at Bass Pro. Let's dig into that a little bit more. Why? That's just for me. Well, no, no. But why do you think? Because there is a general romanticization of catching a native species in its home water. For me, there is. What I think for I a think lot for of people. Us, honestly, uh, my mo- one of my most memorable, memorable trips was when we hiked up to catch those native Oh, the, that horrible hike? Yeah, but it wasn't but, horrible, but, but, but that we don't sit there and think about the hike. We sit there and, and, and think, think about, about the beautiful, like honestly, the prettiest fish I've ever caught was yeah. from that lake and that the stream rib. leaving. You know, so why is that? You know, why is it those native fish? Well, we that we slept fought? in a Walmart parking lot to get there. Yeah, and upright. Peed, we peed, slept upright in a Walmart parking <laughs> and lot. peed in the parking lot because yeah. the gas station wouldn't let us in. So yeah. it was it was sounding really romantic <laughs> until, <laughs> until that you moment. said you guys were I was holding <laughs> each other in the back seat of the car to keep each other warm. Yeah, <laughs> we could get I was going there. Right? I was going there. I was going to the back seat. Y'all were so close. So yeah, that kind of togetherness it's really touching, and I'm not I'm not ever going fishing with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least in two separate cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that trip we've got coming up, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're sleeping elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, one and done. <laughs> no snuggling. So, <laughs> no, I have friends that do not feel that way at all, and um, and they would rather catch a big brown trout that's going to fight hard any day over a smaller native. But one thing I want to point out is some of the time. A lot of times it's the native trout that we're talking about are smaller because they've been relegated to smaller water. Yeah. So, for instance, in this book, I don't want to give all these things, but there's a lot of different stories. And one of the things I did is I went with my friend Eileen Lane and we went up into the deserts of, um, they're found in the deserts of Oregon, but I was also in the desert 
in the desert of Idaho. And we're going after red band trout. I don't know if y'all have ever caught red band trout, but they're mm-hmm. one of my favorites now. Beautiful, sm- small fish. Are they yeah. cutthroat? Like what, what? No, a red band trout. Is, I'm going to get to that because okay. people don't know. <laughs> red band trout, when you're. Now, you can't. I have caught large red band trout in the Salmon River in Idaho. And by large, I mean they're, they're good size, 16 inch red band trout. So, um, but most of the ones in the desert I'm catching are very small. These are 8 inch fish. 10 inch fish is a really big one. Um, so they're very small. Very difficult to catch, too, by the way, because they are just like lightning, and it's skinny water. But what I want to point out is those red bands are the exact same species as steelhead. The difference is we've cut them off from the ocean, and they've adapted over time. Uh So a lot of people don't realize that Apache trout, which are not getting really big, and Gila trout, which I fish for in New Mexico and in Arizona, they used to migrate all the way to the Baja, to the Sea of Cortez, but they're cut off now, so they're smaller. Are they uh, are they adapting in any other ways other than just the size? Well, the Gila trout are doing better with climate change because mm-hmm. they're they have a better tolerance for heat. Right, they're used to going down the east of the Baja. So, well, it, for whatever reason, the Apache trout, what I've been able to learn really needs a cold water more than the Gotcha. So, so are are the red band the same thing as like a Kootenai River rainbow? Because that's I, I fished the Kootenai River in Montana, and it's a rainbow trout that was cut off from, there and is they're a, the only native rainbow trout species to Montana, and they were priorly a, a, a steelhead. Right. Are, is a red band trout the same thing as and, like a Kootenai River and, rainbow? And some people would call that a Kootenai River Red band. The red okay. So, so there's two. My understanding, again, I'm not a fisheries biologist, but uh, but I know of quite a few of them. <laughs> and, and for this book, by the way, I also worked with the fishery biologists in each area to make sure that I was getting my facts right, sent the stuff to them. But there's going to be two different kinds of red band that you're going to find up there. Uh, and one of them is the Kootenai that's okay. found in Montana. And there's also some red bands that get extremely large in the lakes of, of eastern Washington state. Because here they they've got lakes and they get quite large, yeah. and some people call them cameloops. Or, but um, for me, I can only speak for myself. Yeah, I have friends, dear friends, that would say I'd rather catch a brown trout. I would too, in Scotland, in Germany. Yeah, and and I'm actually going to be flying to see my my daughter uh, in July, and we'll go fish for brown trout in their native waters, and that's going to be thrilling for me. Yeah. So for me, when I wanted to hunt kudu, which I did, I could have shot a kudu here in Texas. As you know, they're running around the ranches here. Mm-hmm. And I would have saved a ton of money. I flew to Namibia and hunted in the Namib Desert and up in the Golan border to get my kudu. And it took me 13 days out of 14 to get that kudu. To me, that was worth it. When you're sleeping in the Walmart and <laughs> climbing that horrible climb, you yeah. remember that fish. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same as, and I'm trying to put down stalkers, but it's not the same as catching a stalker that's been dumped in a river here. It's, yeah. No, it's just not, it's the not, same. It's not, it's not the same. Not to say that you can't have fun catching stalkers. No, I have caught, had fun no, catching but stalkers. Nothing but will be as memorable as our trip of hiking up to that no, lake. And there's a reason why I have an Appalachian brook trout on my arm. It's because right. it's a native fish from my home state, but also... Where's your home state? Tennessee. Like, I was born there, and my dad okay. lives there, and... I caught my first, the first fish I ever caught on the fly 
Appalachian brook trout in the Smokies. It, honestly, that's a, a four-inch fish, you know. But I fell in love with fly fishing in that moment. Yes. With the most beautiful fish I'd ever seen. And it's, I don't know. There's something special about it. And that's, exactly. I go back every summer just to go catch a brookie. Just to I'm so feel, with you on that. Feel connected to it. So to just touch off of that, again, I'm going to talk about this book only to make this point. I purposely did this so that we start the first chapter. I'm with Chris Wood. I was actually just fishing with him. I don't know if you all know who he is. He's the president yep. of Trout Unlimited. Mm-hmm. I was fishing with him last week. Um, uh, that was my last trip. I was fishing with him for Shad for the third book. Um, but we started out fishing the Potomac together as the first chapter on the dirty end of the Potomac, right in front of the White House, right in front of the Capitol building. <laughs> and then I complete the book by fishing with Dustin Witcherman, the biologist in West Virginia, at the clean end of the Potomac, and he and I have become dear friends, communicated today. And there I'm catching brook trout in their native waters at the very start of that mighty river where it's crystal clear now and all this great work has been done to restore it. Uh-huh. That's where it's hope. So it starts out with all this and then at the end. Now, one more brook trout story, if you don't mind. I was going after Bear River cutthroats in Utah in the Bear River up towards the main part of the Bear River. I caught one Bear River cutthroat for every half dozen brook trout I caught. <laughs> now, do brook trout belong in Utah? I don't. I don't know. No, no. They know though. It's an eastern fish. It, it, as far west as they should go is there's a small population in northwest, northeast Iowa. So we've put them there. So people say, "Well, so what? I like catching brook trout." But my my thing is when I speak with the biologists there, they're telling me that the brook trout are. I love brook trout in Tennessee. Yeah. They're pushing out natives. They're out competing. The they're out competing. Almost nine times out of ten, anytime you they introduce a new. Non-native fish is what happens. And some of my friends would argue, well, that's survival, the fittest. Yes, if it was a natural migration. Right. But that's like us dropping, you know, lions in somewhere that they never were. And then when all the deer are eaten, saying, well, it's survival, the fittest. They should have been tougher deer. Right, yeah. So, um, they should have adapted faster. <laughs> it's, just, it's just lions. So anyway, that's just for me. Um, for other people, I know they're not going to agree with that. and That's okay. They're still my friends. I still fish with them. No, it's it's a it's a very it's a point that's appreciated, especially. I, I'm in the same boat where I have lots of friends that would say the same thing about the trout that that are you know that are released. They would say oh, they're, they're dumped in there, and it's and it's it gives you know something that people can fish for during. And there's value months. to that, right? And 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 it brings in other money, you know, for uh you know for the chapter and and all of that. Um, you know, but it but it is it is that that question on on other ones like you know I've got a couple of buddies that have talked about the release of of redfish you know and and those that are stocked redfish that are then released how how much of of that stock is affecting the natives or the 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 real population of redfish in the areas are are we bringing in something else you know that really isn't good. Um, or it's masking the situation. Or it's masking the situation. So, and that's what I'm really getting at, because I've had fun catching stalkers here and other places. Mm-hmm. And there's value in some of this. I fished for gila's in a river in Arizona, where it's a put and take fishery. They know they're not going to breed there because it's put and take. But what they're trying to do is get the anglers more involved with gila's, so that they can then get them restored into other rivers, because there'll be some 
backing. They there's just they want them to have a connection with that fish. Right. Because even if that fish is for lack of a better word, fake there, they still appreciate and they love that fish and so they want to protect it. And it's actually their native water, but what's happened is there's been browns and rainbows in that stream so long pushed them out. That they're now having to get people used to because anglers are the ones saying, I want my brown trout there. And they can't put the natives back. So I'm going back to your question. I spent some time in Alaska for this third book. And we're dump, we're putting a lot of hatchery salmon in in southeast Alaska. And it's to keep the salmon fisheries going, mostly the commercial fishery. Now, I eat salmon, too. I've got some in the freezer right now. So I don't want to be a hypocrite here. But what happens is they're not snipping them or anything else because of the volume of this. And so you can't tell the the native actual wild salmon from the ones that are being produced and dumped in there. And people say, well, I want you to understand that's a problem for us down the road. We don't know when we see a bunch of salmon, is it real or is it Memorex? You know, we we can't tell. Is that, is that coming from the rivers of the Tongass or was it dumped there? Right. So if you're trying to gauge, I guess, the health of the river, right. you can't do that if, if you can't tell the difference between native versus stocked. Right, and as anglers, we tend to think of the fish we've hooked. Right. So with the other thing I did in the Tongass, I hope you f- all find this interesting, is with a biologist up there, Mark Hieronymus, we started out by catching salmon in the salt water in the ocean. Then we followed them up the river, and then we went with dip nets way up into the rainforest to look for coho fry that are about an inch big in about one foot of water, so that we could prove to the Forest Service you've got to protect these ephemeral streams because what happens if you have no fry? And no fish. You have no fish. So it's the whole habitat we need. Same with the redfish. If you put a lot of redfish in to help a fishery, you've got to keep track of what's really happening with the, or any of these breeding. Or is it all artificial? And it'll all collapse. And that's what I'm just trying to get us all involved because we love fishing. We love being out in nature. So <clears throat> other than native fish in your book, what are some other major themes that you try to touch on um, other than catching native fish? Uh, that, that is that and fly fishing, of course, is just kind of like the, it's kind of the line that I use to tell the story. So um, the other themes are about friendship, about human connection, about culture. Uh, as I travel everywhere, as I mentioned, I bring in the food, the music. The, I, I, I go to that person and say, where do you eat? Where do you go? What do you listen to? Um, it's, And I also layer what I hope to be helpful um, stories about how we can live the best life. If that's making any sense to you, various life skills that help us be healthier. Um, so, okay. And uh, if you, this is spoiling too much, don't go there. Was there a common theme when you asked people that question? Which question? Uh, the one about the, the, the purpose, right? Or what you were just speaking to. Well, that, actually that part is part that I'm inserting often. Okay. Uh, I'm finding a, I'm finding a teachable moment because it seems to me that, um, and this is just my own biased opinion, that we're losing our story. Yeah. And so I want to help repaint that story of how do we live a good life. 
And how I'm able to do that without it being preachy in any way is I just go live it with somebody who's in Alaska, who's in West Virginia, who's and we go and we pull those things out of the story. And what I've found is people have written to me from actually all around the world saying, yes, yes, I'm nodding here. You helped me remember that I've lost my way on this. You've helped me remember. And that's what I'm trying. I, I really said that I, I'm writing these books as a gift. I mean, I can't give them away. I'm not the publisher. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm really hoping that you get a lot out of the story, that you enjoy it. But it also makes you think. So if you're asking what, what I was getting from other people, um, everywhere I've gone, there's been this thirst for some, I'll keep saying hope, and there's been this thirst for connection, which is why we... Everything I've done is taken social media and turned it upside down because it's it, to me it can alienate us. It can be a way for us to attack each other. What I've done is searched out and met people through social media and found people of the tribe. We have the, you know, we're the tribe. Yeah. We, we love a lot of the same. We may not agree on everything, but we love some of the same things. And that's part of the adventure of all of this. Because it's one thing having one thing that's connecting you, you guys but it's another thing where they're opening up their their life to you so, yes so the, the the culture the food their thoughts you know what's going on in their life and it, it's it's i think it's still pretty cool to to go to these different areas of the u.s not just even locally we could we could say that we could go and fish wearing and and hang out with people and be completely different than if we fished, you know, in Seguin area or, or whatever, or Brushy Creek, uh-huh. you know. Um, I'm sure there's themes that you run into the same thing. You know, when we were talking as sure. far as like, you know, the, the the cancer and the PTSD aspect of things and everyone's trying to search for something or trying to 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 find their way amongst things. Um, even though all the things around them are different it's still kind of coming to the to that same thing of you know trying to weed trying to find their way through through things and so i mean i think that's just you know amazing and and your 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 talk about going and fishing and not you know just catching a couple of fish cutting it off and and and, and just enjoying that moment there was another podcast where we were talking and, and or even just off air it was just you know i find myself more Maybe because, you know, married, kid, you know, career, it's hard to get out as much as I'd like to get out. And when I'm finally there, I feel like I'm more just enjoyment of I'm there. I'm hearing the water. I'm hearing the birds. Yeah, I'm hearing a fish come up. Yeah, my line's not wet, but I'm having just as much fun than if my line was. Yeah. And and in our lives of, of social media and stuff, it's like... I feel like lately I haven't taken as much pictures of stuff. I feel like I'm remembering more of that experience than I did if I was trying to take a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being at a concert and no one's looking at the yeah. concert themselves. Oh, they're, yeah. they're looking they're through looking the, the back of the phone. They're looking at the back of their phone. And what I'm doing is immersing myself and by doing it, trying to get all of us to immerse together. And sometimes I actually do that. I put on a mask and jump in the river. Or I jump in the ocean and see what's down there. So it's about actually experiencing. And um, and, and, sorry, sorry. and I was just going to say, what another common theme is people want to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to their home and say, tell me about this, they do open. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause, you know, cause, and, because and, they know you actually yeah, care. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and people care about where yeah. they're from. Like, right. You know, we, yeah. we associate so much of our identity of where we're from and, and, you know, the place we see every day that they wanted to. Like, I love talking about the Hill Country because it's, you know. This is my home. Yeah. But I was once a Florida man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Same thing. I, I, mean, I grew up part of my life on the edge of the Everglades, which is now gone. Yeah. The part that I grew up in is gone. I remember hearing Florida Panthers in the palm palmettos in places where they don't exist anymore. Yeah. And so there's a lot to be learned there. I don't want to see that happen to the Hill Country. Yeah. And I've been lucky to, to run into, you know, guys that have, have fished down, especially within like the Rockport areas and, and then, and to talk about like when those passes were open, when, um, I forget what, you know, I know one recently they've reopened, uh, was it by, by something, Cedar Bayou, um, and some other ones. Um, but, but hearing stories that you didn't, I don't know why I w- would have never been told this, you know, and found it myself, like, you know, back in, I think it was like the seventies, there was that big, um, uh, in the kind of the more closer to Mexico, uh, there, there was a, uh, a platform or an oil leak and there was concern that that oil would come into, um, uh, into, you know, the, the, the Texas, uh, um, intercoastal waterways and they kind of naturally or kind of paid for those to be kind of, uh, uh, you know, dammed up, if you will, or and, and they were left them there. I think Cedar Bayou was one of those, if I remember correctly. But even seeing those things or hearing those stories, and and then you know you, you go down that rabbit hole of other stuff that's, that's happened. Um, but hearing these stories of you know you're 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 knocking off you know blue crabs in self defense because they're everywhere. And now when you go, you know you don't see as many as you once did. And I don't have any gauge because I was never there. 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And for when I go, I'm like, oh, hey, there's there's one. Oh, hey, there's one over there. And and the men, the, the idea that that's the normal thing is, isn't is the case. So there's a lot of guys our age or younger that, you know, kind of really need to, to, to be shown those things or told those things, which I don't think there's really outlets now other than it's when it's too late. And one thing you're going to see as you read this is I keep, Sometimes I say things only once, but sometimes I'm purposely saying it again and again, and everything is connected to everything. So the smallest thing, for example, I don't know if any of y'all have ever fished for Corbina off the coast of California, but I am addicted now. I am addicted to Corbina fishing. Corbina, or we, we would call them whiting here, though they're bit, quite a bit different and larger there, but they're they're going up into the surf, and they're following the surf in order to get Sand crabs, mole crabs, sand fleas, depending on what part of the country you're in, because they go all the way around the country. And that little tiny creature, so much is resting on that. And in places like Florida, where they're putting in more sand on the beaches to extend the beaches out because it's tight, you know, it's being pulled away. What they're doing is wiping out the sand fleas, which is wiping out the pompano. And so whole species are missing because of one thing after another. So. Part of what I'm also writing about is just so you can see all the little pieces that come together, the, the, the coral, the sand fleas, the, the spartina grass. Here in Texas, we've got mangroves moving north. Mm-hmm. People say, well, that's good habitat. The problem is there are certain things that need spartina grass. Yeah. And right now, the projections I've heard is mangroves will eventually reach all the way across Texas up to Louisiana. Really? And if that happens, the things that are counting on spartina grass, that's all changing. Now, change is constant. Mm-hmm. It's part of nature. 
But what we're seeing is change is happening faster. So you mentioned the blue crabs. That's why I say that's we need to pay attention because well, why? Why are they gone? And what does it mean? What's it going to do to what does it do to redfish? What does it do to everything? So I I I personally I love watching science fiction movies and reading science fiction, but I wouldn't want to live in a spaceship. Yeah, there's no fishing. <laughs> there's no birds well, we'll have the metaverse and we'll yeah, be fishing virtually no, but yeah it's not the same I, thing I, 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 it's no. not the same thing I, I, I want to so. I agree it's me the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings must love a spontaneous voyage on a privately owned catamaran my strengths include ocean and jungle views, your choice, plus the occasional ukulele serenade. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the Hotels app to find me. You're perfect somewhere. How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. Steve, what's your most memorable story from this book? Just to give our, our listeners a little teaser about what they might come to say. What's, what story that you wrote in here resonates with you the most? You know, I'm going to say I can't. It's like picking your favorite child sort of thing. Exactly. So, But I'll tell you that um, – can I tell you two real quick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the first one is just going to be all fun. It's me and, and uh, the conservation writer and a dear friend, Ted Williams, who did the, the forward on my first book. And I'm very honored to have Ted as my friend. And I flew up there and and went to Cape Cod with him. And if any of y'all have never fished with Ted, no, his wife Donna's wonderful, and she kept saying to me, she kept worrying about me. And she said, you're going to get to be in the book now. I said, what book? And she said, you know, the I Survived Ted Williams book. <laughs> she said, when he turned 60, we did one. Now he's 70. He was actually 73 now, I think. Um, we're doing another one. I didn't know what she was talking about. Ted is hardcore. So we hit the rack at 1130 at night. We got up at 2. We were on the road at 2.30. We were on the water way before sunrise, and we fished from rip to rip until the fish were exhausted. And I'm not kidding. And he'd say, hold on, and we go to the next one and the next one and the next one, and he's the toughest angler I've ever worked with, I've ever fished with, and I loved every moment of it, every exhausting moment of it. We caught so many bluefish and so many stripers, I way have no idea how many. And at the end, when the sun came down, I was actually relieved that we had to stop. (laughs) He was fine. He would have kept going. And I just turned to him when we were driving away, listened to his amazing music for the two-hour drive back. And I said, Ted, what do you love most about this? And he's a man of few words and a great writer. And he said, everything. I love everything. And I knew what he meant. It's the whole thing. So that's one of my favorite stories because it's a very quiet man that in very short time encapsulated everything. He wanted all of it, the the, the raging surf, the, the fish, the birds, the whole thing. It's all one package. If all we had was fish there, it wouldn't be that great. And then the next story I'll tell really fast. If I still got time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, time. It's the red bands. 
uh, fishing for red bands in the deserts of Idaho. The first place we went was a ghost town. And that ghost town, I had studied the history of it, and it was full of death and suffering. People murdering each other over money, uh, us murdering Native Americans over gold. And when I was fishing there, the fishing was beautiful, the river was beautiful, but the whole place felt of darkness. I'm telling you, it was creepy. I couldn't wait to get out of that ghost town, actually. It just, and I, I remember looking at people in the ghost town and wondering, are you really there? Because this is like way creepy, because they would just stare at you. <laughs> you'd wave and nobody would wave back they just kept staring and I thought oh, I'm not going up and touching that <laughs> so, then we went to another stream where there was a little tiny um, cottage that had it was just the walls left and you could just get a feel that these people were happy here and uh, I recently wrote about this and it's going to be in Fly Fisherman magazine but those two things were so different because it showed what we bring to yeah. that wild place one place, no matter the fish are beautiful, both places they're both red bands, but in one place it felt happy, light, uh, and there were no mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say is I, I feel the stabbing yeah. pain in the back of my head, like wow. Um, so um, and then the other place was just so dark. So I would say those are two stories that really stand out for me, but it's really hard. There's 21. St- Stories in each of these books, and each one of them I love for a different reason. For for I'm these two have fur babies. I have a six year old daughter; she'll be seven here in August. Mm. With with that and your daughter, how you know when you took her out, or what are the things that you're you're showing her that you're telling her to kind of be aware of, other than just water? And I feel like I'm finally at that point now where. You know, I've taken her. I took her out fishing when when she was four, I think, and it, it was great because I knew everyone told me, "Look, she's gonna get bored after ten minutes. She wants to throw rocks. Let her throw rocks." And that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. She had a fun time. It's great. But now I feel like she's more in tune to, you know, she's a big owl lover. She loves that. You know, loves that stuff. What's a good way to kind of push them into that direction of naturalist into more, you know pulling stuff uh, what's around her um you know digging up stuff looking binocular what, what what's your push that way well I, I i have two answers for you first thing i want to share is i actually dedicated an entire chapter to that exact topic in this book and i started off with my dad taking me as a little boy and then me taking my daughter as a young girl here in the texas hill country but um it's include them and then let them include you is my answer. Okay. Because kids are naturally inquisitive. We kill it in them as adults. We tell them, don't, don't, don't touch, don't, don't, don't go there. Mm-hmm. And they want to look under the rock. They want to see it up in the tree. So now that I'm 61, I'm really enjoying being a kid again. So if I feel like climbing a tree, I climb the damn thing. And I'm serious. <laughs> I really do that stuff. Uh, if I want to jump into the river, I jump in the river. Let the kids, as long as they're not killing themselves, yeah. do it with them. So if it can't be all about the fishing because then they might get bored. The other thing is that I do put in there is, is you want to make sure you set them up for success. Sure. And bluegill are such wonderful things. And little sunfish are what we call perch here in Texas, which they're not actually perch, but we call them that. <laughs> um, 
and pawns are not actually tanks, but we call them that too. So, um, <laughs> and it's a taco here and a burrito in West Texas. Go figure. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you're uh, right. right. Exactly. Yeah. But my point is, uh, to me, you go and you let the kid grab the whole thing and they they need to have that connection but then uh i remember shooting my first dove and my dad dissected the dove then just clean it dissected it and put the little heart in my hand and everything that stuck with me um yeah and, and i i've done that with with both duck and dove you know she's she's held him she's kind of hit this this age now where it's like well i don't really want to touch it you know and and she's she's had a fish on the other side of her of a rod and, and she's enjoyed it but you know i, I think right now like we got youth sports, we got soccer and stuff, and I'm, I'm just trying to push her more into, you know, e- exactly there's more stuff going on here than just than just the water you see. Just the fishing. Right, just the fishing and stuff. But yeah. it, it, I'm and excited it, now we got something she, in there. That she, yeah, there's a whole chapter in there, and I actually I actually borrowed from uh, an author, Jen Ripple, who wrote a, a multiple thing. And that, what I did is I built off of what she did with some of my own experiences. But it's 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 about doing it with them mm-hmm. and i miss having my daughter here a lot so casting for it is me and her and up until this book i had never had a fishing buddy except for my daughter in my life or my dad and that's something to say that yeah i never fished with anybody but myself and now i've fished with well we're about to go pretty soon yeah and i'm looking at landon because he's going to be in the third book so um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I hope I answered your question. But to no, me, no, it's good. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You, get, you no. get in there with them, and you, you you have time to sit on a rock and 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 talk and listen, and um, yeah, just take them, just take them, and then they hopefully get hooked. Yeah, no pun intended. No, I mean we've we've been lucky, and we put out you know, with the birding stuff. We put out feeders. You know, yeah. uh, the wife's we've got a garden. She's going out hey to go pick some tomatoes, and and you know so. We're getting in her definitely in, involved with those things. And just, you know, just that you're always kind of wondering, am I doing the right thing or missing something? You know, am I, am I not pushing her this, this much into doing it? But I think to your point is let them figure it out. Well, I think it's, you know, be, be just, there if they just, need something, but, just, but let them I, and I, go. I mean, I don't, we don't have any kids, but I feel like us growing up, Zach, we were right on that like cusp of like I didn't really have like a cell phone growing up. Right. You know, I kind of did, but I couldn't really like text my right. buddies, like be on Facebook all day. A lot of my childhood was like I was playing outside with the neighbor kids, building tree houses, building zip lines. You know, buddy broke his arm because he fell off a homemade zip line. It's like <laughs> you think back and like, man, we were doing some like stupid stuff. But like I think now, like I can't imagine like the pull on technology that there is versus like even. Even me, like growing up in a time when technology was rapidly expanding, I still didn't have the access that's available now for like young kids to be on that. And I was largely outside, so like it, I, I can like weird. feel that no, struggle. It's, it's very weird. And luckily, my wife's a, a second grade teacher, so she knows like, hey, you've got your screen time already. You're done. We're, we're gonna go and do this. Let's go outside and let's, and you know, so I'm, we're not gonna take that away because something they still need to learn you know the fact yeah. that they're 
you know, they understand the technology, able to do that. For whatever dumb reason, she's really fallen in love with these cleaning videos on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know why. Hey, praise her on that, right? <laughs> right I guess. Yeah. I'm hey. like, if, if, if she's like, well, why don't you clean your dishes this way? And I'm like, well, hey, hey, calm, it, we're getting it clean. Chill. You know, uh, all these hacks. I'm like, you're six. Who cares? You can get a job. Um, but it's, it's, I just feel like we, we run around a lot. And then the times that we go, I'm just trying to figure out, are we making the most of it? And I think we are. And this is, uh, is us time. Right. So I have my phone in my backpack, but it's turned off. You yeah. know, it's, it's just not, th- it's, it's not there. It, it's, it's us time. And you know, one of the great things when we're fishing is that you can be 50 feet away from each other and you're not even speaking, but you're together. Yeah. You know, you're together. And that is the magic that still, now my daughter, because of COVID, she hadn't been able to come home from the UK for almost two years. We got her back here and her and I went fishing to our little spot that's in the first book that I will never tell anybody where it's at. Um, I have been... And it's not because the fishing's great there. It's because it's our spot. Yeah. Um, so, and we went back and it was just like when she was 16. It was, it was, this is our, our root. This is, this is what we have. And it's so important. It's, she'll remember that far more than she will going to the movies or to a restaurant yeah. or to a park. No, it's, it's, she's, a, it, exactly. She's going to remember that. Right. And, and uh, I took her out of school two weeks ago to take her to the, to the golf tournament, the Valero. Um, and, and, you know, I've taken her golfing. She's got her own set. I'm like, here's your your basket. Like, I'm not going to tie anything. You just go tie yourself out. Right? And, you know, I was excited to take her because my dad took me. In fact, my dad went with us. So it was pretty cool to, to go nice. and have this. You know, and she didn't know who Roy McElroy is. She didn't know who Ian Poulter was or Bryson DeChambeau. And she's five feet away from these guys, you know. And, and she, she, I knew she had a good time. Um, you know, there was there was one of the 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 marshals there, whatever the, the the volunteers, and they have the little signs to say quiet. And one of the guys gave it to her, and she got to hold it up. She thought that was the greatest thing in the world. You know, she got to hold this thing that said quiet. And you know, we got we got done with everything, and and we're making our way back, and you know, hold her on my shoulders, and we go and do that. And and at first, I wasn't sure if she took it in or she cared. But we went to get something to eat afterward. And we both had, I got, she, I got her a Tideless hat that she you know, wears when we go out. She's got her pink glove and whatnot. And the, the gentleman in front of us looked at both of us. We were dressed. And we're like, oh, did you guys go to the golf tournament? Before I could any, say anything, here's a six-year-old who's like, oh, yeah, we did this. We did that. Like, things I didn't think she picked up on. Mm-hmm. And that that right there I knew was, was good. When we, we go out fishing and 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 go out to to the river i know those are things that she's enjoying and maybe it's just me that she's at that age right now where it's the fact she's with us she's yes. at undivided attention and where i'm kind of thinking like okay what what should i be doing to say hey look at this bird or hey look at this doing that and that's maybe the mentality is the other thing is that if she's just it can, it enjoying be, with us and that's all that should matter it can be both though because sure. one of the great things is i don't for me, I love my solitude. I love when I'm fishing by myself, hiking yeah. by myself. But it's so great when you can say, hey, look at that. When you can share it. Exactly. And then after a while, they start doing it. Mm-hmm. Dad, a kingfisher. Yeah. You know, dad, this. Dad, this. Dad, look what I got. 
So I think that's the magic of it. You've got a lot of great stuff ahead of you there. Yeah. Maybe it's just me wanting to be already <laughs> a little <laughs> jump ahead. Jump, jump ahead. But six you know, is young. Yeah. But but six is, is young. It's a great place to start. Isn't that, and I don't know, I don't have kids, but isn't that existential crisis of uh, parenthood? It's just like trying to figure it out and, you know, what you want the best for your kids and you just try to do the best that you can and you're figuring out. Along the way, I, well, I don't know. I'm just. I asking. want my six year old to be able to double haul at the moment. She's <laughs> letting me down. Uh, <laughs> down. <laughs> and, maybe, maybe, and maybe that's that's me. But I'll tie on the kitchen table, and she'll she knows what I'm doing, and she'll ask what you're doing, yeah. and she'll comes over, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll show her stuff, and you know, I I, th- I think we're I think we're at that point where it's like, okay, sit down, you're gonna tie something, and I I've got a buddy, we've got some proper, we've got some places where we're, you know, just make a call, we go, we got our own little private spot that's waitable for both of us. And and go and do, and I think that's where this summer. I think is that's going to be the summer we're really going to do something. You know, I'm not saying this is a good suggestion, but I was listening to another podcast where a guy, um, I guess him and him and his son were both a master certified casting instructors, but in Australia, which is a very high achievement if you're a casting. It takes a lot of hard work and preparation. And they were asking the father, "Well, how did you? You know, you're a master caster. How did you get your son into it?" And he was explaining that. You know, when his son was little and he would go fishing, he would never let him come with him. Dad, I want to go fishing with you. Dad, I want, nope, 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 can't come fishing with me. Nope, 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 you're not old enough. You're never old enough. Constant, constant, constant rejection. And then uh, one day the son just stole his fishing equipment, went out to the local pond by himself, didn't ask permission, just went and did it. And then he knew, he said he knew that, you know, okay, now I can take him fishing because he wanted to do it enough on his own and I wasn't forcing myself my desires upon him that this is something that he naturally wanted. And so I don't know if there's anything to learn from that or if that's, you know, if you guys are, I'm not a parent, so that, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I thought that was interesting. That that story would be even stronger if he wasn't rejecting his kid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm saying, Dad, take me fishing. Yeah. But no, I, I do kind of, what I can take from that is it's got to be them enjoying it. And if they yeah. don't enjoy it, let it go. Maybe they'll come back to it, but if it's got to be them enjoying and it, because if you push them into it and they don't want to do it, that's just yeah. And, but that's it. been the ebb and flow, and and some of it's been her age, and and sometimes cause she's a smart kid, and, and that's that's on me sometimes. Where I'm like, I'm already thinking she's there and she's not, and and you know certain levels of of what she can and can't do, um, but I, I think I think it's this this summer will definitely be one of those where. We can we can go for at least four hours, and it's something that she can maintain her attention for for three to four hours, and 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 go and do and have fun doing it. Where when they're when they're younger, man, it's it. Like I said, that first time I took her, I thought, oh, everyone keeps telling me it's to be fifteen minutes. Like, no, nah, it can be thirty minutes. You know, she's really gonna fall in love with. No, it was, you know, she, I've got the video of it where she's you know got the got a rod and she's picking rocks in the water and doing that with her yeah but, <laughs> but she's in she's having fun she's yeah. you know enjoying it pick up a rock throw it in the water okay yeah. hey, pick up as many rocks as you want you know and and yeah she didn't fish for more than 10 or 15 minutes but we were out there for more still than an hour and a half because it. she was still enjoying all the other parts of of it that i wasn't thinking and you know the other thing the other thing you see like i write about all the time i didn't go into this is in my life, I'll, I'll call it Zen, mm-hmm. not Buddhism as a as a religion, but as a philosophy. There's, it's really helped me. It's helped me with PTSD. It's helped me with life. It's helped me. It helped me with with my daughter, because there's nothing to achieve. 
we're gone fishing. We're going to go play in the water. We don't have to catch fish. So I always think about this one time. I was on the Guadalupe with Megan, and it was one of those days where I couldn't stop catching fish. I mean, every cast I was I was getting a bass just about, and she wasn't catching anything, and it started to bother me. So I found this little puddle over by a cypress tree, and I thought, I'm just going to cast to the puddle and let her fish the good part. And I cast the puddle, and I hooked a fish. And then I thought, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to get away from her. And so I start walking away and I had the woolly bugger behind me just dragging and a fish jumped up and caught onto it. And I caught another fish and I tried to hide it by my leg so she wouldn't see it. And she looked over and smiled and said, dad, it's okay. I don't care if I catch any fish. I'm having fun being here with you. That's the thing. When they just enjoy being out with you. And then when you are so excited because you want them to catch the fish first. And, uh, yeah, it's a great experience. And she's six. She's just starting out. Yeah, but it's, you've got a lot of good stuff ahead of you. Expensive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, more, more fly rods and everything else. <laughs> Steve, what's your current project? Uh, casting well, Seaward. Casting Seaward. So um, I'll have that done at the end of June. Um, Are we the last trip? Am I your last trip? Almost. Almost. I'm trying to work out a trip to Florida right now to kind of finish the circle and be able to talk about that um so um so you're almost the last trip yeah so what are we going to be doing if you want to share you and i Caesar. yeah well you know we, we still have to have a little zoom about that with our other partner but uh <laughs> in in my dreams we're going to spend some time in one of the days in um uh, working the flats and the shallows after reds and and, and uh, now have you caught a redfish you know i haven't yet to catch a redfish on the fly, on the fly. And I've been fishing with some great, great people, and they haven't been catching them. You know you know how it is when you show up someplace and they said, we got 12 stripers oh, yesterday. Oh, yeah, you know, it's yeah, yeah, not going to happen today. And then the, the storm <laughs> moves in and yeah. bang, nothing. So I just came back from South Carolina, and my buddy there was saying, you know, last time I was here I caught 30 redfish, and I was casting to a lot of redfish, but... It was peeler crab time, and they were gorging on crabs, and they just don't want anything. I caught a lot of sea trout is what I caught. So, no, you, st- you still got a chance here uh, to be the to one be for that. because uh, I haven't done it on the fly yet, and uh, we need to. So and we're going to do that, but the other thing I'm hoping we'll be able to do is offshore, and it's just going to depend on weather. It's weather permitting is really uh, what it is. Because I'd really like us to go out to uh, a rig or something like that. That's and fun. That is fun. I, so I, talked, I talked to William the other day, and he's just like, it's just going to be a game day. Has he been out yet? Not offshore. No, okay. Not this early. Um, but uh, normally, like mid-May, early June, our trip is the first weekend. Of June. Of June, Friday, Saturday. And so it's just going to be weather. It works or not. Weather. So yeah. we, we we'll we'll go into the flats, and then we may have to do a, a plan with William that there's a recon moment in which uh, – I'm thinking my military stuff now where yeah. he, he calls and said, it's go time. <laughs> you know, we and drive, we drive, drive down yeah. there, yeah. get out there, get fish for a little while, and then come on back. Because, yeah. see, you're thinking about how much fun it is, and I want it to be fun. But the other thing I want to do is tell the story. Yeah. yeah. Because there's a story to be told out at that rig. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm doing is I'm really fishing around the country for anybody who's reading it so that you can go with me. And you're going to learn more than we got a cobia. Yeah. 
you know, more than we got redfish, you're going to get a whole picture of this place. I've done it. I've done the outer stuff in a small boat once. And we didn't, I think we caught one spade fish off a rig. Mm -hmm. And in that trip, we swam with dolphins. Like, I, I didn't think I'd ever do something like that. Besides the fact I was scared out of my mind because, you know, it's clear water and you're looking down and it just goes to an abyss. Mm-hmm. And you see 30, 40 dolphins all kind of swimming around you and you're like, oh, man, this is like YouTube videos where they're going to grab me and they're going to eat me. <laughs> you know, and, um, but, but yeah, I mean, that just being out there and all the cool stuff you see and seeing big manta rays or, you know, just some of the, the oh. Even if you don't catch anything, I just, I just want to go on that boat trip. Just a, de- a deep-sea boat trip on a small boat. Oh, man, that's so cool. And the, and the trip is the trip. Yeah, yeah. The trip is trip. The trip is still a whatever, trip. Whatever yeah. happens, happens. You were talking about music. I'm going to start putting together a playlist. That's good. Yeah. You got time to listen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's got to be the whole the whole package. Yeah, but Every, I'm looking everything. forward to it. I am, too. So, so what I'll end on, unless you guys have anything else... No, honestly, Steve, it's been a joy. Yeah. Every oh, last me. time you were on, I walked away energized, and I feel the same way today. I love having you on. So, anytime you want to come on and and talk and just share your philosophy on life, I I want to call in sick it. tomorrow just to go fishing. I feel like I'm not <laughs> doing enough in my life. <laughs> I I, uh, I feel the same way. I'm not just talking about the tequila. Uh, <laughs> uh, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, Barely notice the mosquitoes. Yeah, barely, right? <laughs> barely. Well, it made us because we're all lightheaded from the lack of blood. But. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'll what I'll end on is uh, um, a you know note on your book, uh, so that way people maybe encourage people to go. If if the conversation have is it encourage you to purchase Steve's book, uh, maybe this will. And I hope that you guys go purchase from us on Honey Hill Angling because we have signed copies. Um, where are some other especially if we, signed? If we yeah, especially signed. We have the only signed copies available right now. Right now, you do the right only now. ones. Right yeah. Um, where if we're sold out and people are listening to this later, where are some other places that people could purchase the book? Well, if you're just looking to purchase the book, you can purchase it through any major bookseller. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. I mean, you name it, they're going to have it. Um, okay. If, of the major uh, booksellers, if you're um, and of course, for signed copies, they can go to you. Yep. Until you run out, and if you um, and we might order more. And if you run out, uh, my friend Bob White will also be doing that. Okay. So, uh, uh, Bob White Studios. So, uh, but any major bookseller, and I would tell people just you know look and get the best deal you can on it. So, um, but I really do think that you'll enjoy it. And between the two books, it's six years of my life. Uh, this is not something that's easy to do. I was talking to a friend of mine who has a had a book out a number of years ago, and and he knows that um, he's actually in this book. And he told me that uh, writing a book was like running his marathon. Um, he still hasn't gotten over the feeling of the pain of it all. For me, I love it. It's not painful, but it is definitely a lot of work. And so I put my heart and soul into this. I really think y'all will enjoy it. Um, I hope so. So uh, Tim Cahill, author of Jaguars, Ripped My Flesh, said about your book, uh, Ramirez is your knowledgeable cross-country guide who cracks a joke or two while he introduces you to a place, makes you love it, 
and now that you love it, advises you on how to care for it. Um, a big-hearted book, highly recommended. Tim's a great guy. Yeah. So um, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you again, Steve. Thank you yes, for having thank me. You. We, you are welcome anytime you want to come on, and I'm very much looking forward to our fishing trip. I am um, too. And I think we're going to have a great time. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the field or on the water. Bye. Bottle boy. Need some more tequila. I need some more tequila. (laughs) 